We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Six Man Show, an Orlando Magic podcast with your hosts, Luke Sylvia and Jonathan Osborne, covering all things Magic basketball. By fans, for fans. Go Magic. What's going on, Orlando Magic fans? You guys are back with the Six Man Show. Today is June 9th, 2022. Jonathan Osborne here. Today, I am joined by producer Kevin. Kevin, what's up, bro? Hey, Jonathan. I'm doing great. Happy to be back on the show. Our friend Luke is traversing across the United States right now for his long way to move back from cornfields. Yep, cornfields of Nebraska, coming back to Central Florida. I know he's excited. He's probably hating life right now. I think it's like a 20-hour drive. He's literally doing it today, Thursday the 9th, and tomorrow the 10th. Um, but yeah, stay safe, Luke, and we'll have him back on the show, you know, next week sometime. But yeah, it's it's, it's definitely good to get to chat with you today. Yeah, I hate driving that far. Like I, my cap is like six hours. Like if we got to go somewhere at six hours, I'm good. Anything beyond that, I am miserable. Like the yep. final three hours of the drive. My in-laws live in Western North Carolina, so you drive three three and a half hours, you get out of Florida, and then it's like six hours of Georgia. And then you cross over in like 15 minutes from the North Carolina-Georgia border. You're at their house. I know you live in Georgia, but I cannot explain to you how much I cannot stand driving through the state of Georgia. Yeah, well, part of your problem is you're literally, because you're going to West North Carolina, you're literally driving the longest possible distance you can in the state of Georgia. Because you're driving diagonally from the southeast corner to the northwest corner. It's literally, Georgia, that's the longest stretch. So, unfortunately, that's yeah, what you got to do. But, yeah, I'm I'm barely in Georgia. I'm just a little bit over over the line here in Savannah, but yeah, good luck. Now, something that I, you put me on to within the last year is cookout, but cookout is more of like a, like a Eastern North Carolina, like Northeastern Georgia thing. Like, I don't think as I'm driving through Georgia, the route that I take, I can hit many cookouts. Yeah, there, there are cookouts here where I live in Savannah, but yeah, if you if you split off going like northwest instead of stay, sticking to the east coast where we where we are, like the 95 corridor, yeah, you're drifting away from cookout territory, and it's a shame. Uh, cookout, if, it's funny, if you go on to cookout's website and you look at the, the map of all the locations, they're everywhere, you know, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, all that, 
and there's a hard line at Florida. So all my Florida friends out there, you guys are missing out on cookout. It's a great dining experience, something like 48 different milkshake flavors or whatever. It's awesome, man. You And you thoroughly enjoyed it when you went. Dude, I really did. But I, I went like I should have taken the name at face value. It's literally like you're going to a cookout. Yep. Like don't expect anything. Don't expect, like, oh, the greatest fast food meal you've no. ever had. Just expect the fact that you are going to a cookout, but you're going through the drive-thru. But yeah, they've got some great stuff on the menu. I forget was it? Do they have cheese curds there? Did I, I had something with cheese and they were yeah. incredible? Yeah, the thing that blows me away about cookout, obviously the milkshakes, but also like if you get a tray, you get you know, say you want a cheeseburger as your meal, then for you for a side you can get a quesadilla or chicken tenders or like it's like the side game is totally different, you know, than right. than other normal restaurants. But anyway, cookout's awesome. Uh, you, everyone should go try it at least once for the experience. It's great. I had the the orange cream shake and the peach shake, both of them phenomenal. And that was oh, also right. my first encounter with cheer wine, Ooh. which like every couple of months I'm picking up a four pack at Publix and I crush so it good. in a day or two. So good. It's it's yeah. the best. Yeah. That's a that's an epic combo right there. Like cookout, oh. cheer wine, tail as old as time, man. It's good stuff. That's that's like North Carolina through it and is. through right it there. Is. Last question before we get into some basketball stuff, Kevin. Are you a Coke or are you a Pepsi guy? So I'm not, I'm, this is a really lame answer. I'm not really a soda guy. I have like six mm. sodas a year, maybe. I drink okay. water. So you hide the nitro Pepsi is what I'm getting at. No, okay. no, no, definitely not. No. Well, then we can't talk about that, but I had it and I thought it was actually uh, great. <laughs> well, what is it? I don't, I've literally have well, no idea so what So you is. know how like they like nitro brew like coffee and stuff like yeah. that? Sure. They're now doing that. They're starting with sodas. I think Pepsi was the first to do it. I even heard today that they're doing it with Monster Energy. Wow. But it basically like removes all of the carbonation from the soda. Like I don't know if you're much of a beer drinker, but I've never had Guinness, but I know that Guinness is the beer without carbonation. It's mm-hmm. kind of the exact same thing. Interesting. Now That's the, interesting because I know a lot of people, they drink the sodas for the carbonation. Yeah, that's right. something a lot of people like. So this is just like an intense... Pepsi flavor with no carbonation. That's yeah, it's just like it a is. smoother, like creamier, like Pepsi flavor. You just don't wow. have the carbonation. The thing about I'll have to it, go though, try that. I'm, I'm intrigued. A regular Pepsi is like 160, 170 calories. A nitro Pepsi is like 360 calories. Now the the can wow. is bigger, but they're doing something there that's really up in the the caloric intake for you. But yeah, if you haven't tried that, go ahead and try that. The last thing that we have to mention, Kevin, before we get into Magic Basketball, the Tampa Bay Lightning have tied up the series two games apiece with the New York Rangers. Give me your thoughts. Man, this team, this team, it just just when the world starts to count them out a little bit, the Lightning remind everyone who they are, who they've been, really the last, not just the last two years winning the Cup, but the last seven years. They've been the best team in hockey over the last seven years, and um, they've proved that again this, you know, during this series down, but not out coming all the way back to tie it up. And the momentum is all in Tampa right now. That's all I'm going to say. I know we're going back to New York. The Rangers have been great at home, but all it takes is one. Just got to win one on the road. It's a, it's a best of three series now. Just got to win one on the road. And if any team is capable of winning at MSG it's Tampa, will they do it? I kind of think so, but I'm super biased, so we'll see how it goes. They've done it before. They've done it in the past. So That's right. One thing you cannot do is you cannot count this Lightning team out. You know, no 
Braden Point, Vasilevsky didn't look great the first couple of games this series. They're chanting Igor's better in MSG. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Vasilevsky has looked like the better goalie the last two games. So, yep. uh, go Bolts. That's right, go Bolts. Now, before we get into our conversation with Josh Cohen, who is the digital uh, content manager for the Orlando Magic, uh, does great uh, work for orlandomagic.com. Uh, we had a conversation on him around the draft, but just because Kevin and I felt like you know, we've had the conversation around the top three guys on every single episode since the draft lottery, you know, three weeks ago now. So we mixed it up a little bit with Josh and we said, if we weren't picking number one and, you know, the magic do have the potential to trade back kind of what would that look like and, and what prospects would we be looking at? And Josh, Dan Savage once told me that Josh Cohen watches more basketball than anyone on the planet, and I think that is probably accurate. We had a great conversation with Josh. Before we get to our conversation with Josh, we wanted to remind you guys, coming up on the night of the draft, which is Thursday, June 23rd, we will be having like a pre-draft party. We're going to make a day of it. Uh, We'll be at Harry Buffalo from 5 o'clock to 6.30. Then around 6.30, we're going to walk over to Amway together and set sit in section 106 at the Orlando Magic's draft party, and we will watch the draft unfold from there. If you do not have your tickets uh, to the Orlando Magic draft party, download the Magic app right now on your phone, and you can claim your tickets for the draft party. They're completely free. Uh, you just have to. I think you can get up to four tickets, Kevin. And then you just have to check out. But it's going to be a fun time. It's going to be a great night. We're really looking forward uh, to the draft party. So make sure you guys come out again. June 23rd, starting at 5 o'clock at Harry Buffalo. Yeah, and we've already said it once, but maybe you missed that episode. But if there was ever a night in which the Magic would hit their cap for tickets for the draft watch party, it is this night. We've got the number one pick. So get your tickets now. Again, they're free. Just you got to secure them. So that you can get in the doors. Otherwise, they will not let you in the doors without the ticket. So get your tickets now because there's a good chance that we they might hit the might hit the cap, and you'd hate to miss out on being in that room uh, just because you were lazy or you know procrastinated. So just do it right now as you're listening. Pull it up, get the tickets, and then we'll see you there. And we love you so much, but I promise you, we will leave you outside. We will not. 100%. We will not like you know bear that storm with you. We will be in Amway nope. having a great time and like, hi, idiot! You should have got your tickets. Kevin told you so. Yep. So. Yep, you'll be sitting outside on Church Street watching on your phone, and you're just going to hate your We'll life, tell you so all about, about it when we come outside afterward, but yeah, go ahead and get your tickets. <laughs> Last thing before we get into our conversation with Josh, we shout out all of our patrons every single week, but we have a few new patrons that we want to shout out first. Shout out Eduardo Sanchez, BRBS Creative, and Dan the Man. Those are our newest patrons. Every single week, we shout out our new patrons, a special shout out just for them. So if you want a special shout out like that, you can find us at patreon.com slash the six man show. We have three separate tiers, a lot of great benefits. We're getting ready to ship out some awesome stickers out to all of our patrons. And we're also, this is going to be our first month where we start to raffle a six man show t-shirt away to one lucky uh, patron that we have. And as we add, you know, more designs and things like that to our shop at the six man show.com, You'll have you know, opportunities to win you know whatever kind of design that you want. So again, patreon.com slash the six man show. And we are going to run through our list of all of our patrons now. So a big shout out and thank you to our buddies over at Court Cousins, Drew Gooden, Armin, Keith Garcia, Zico, Carson Tulo, Nathan Lynn, Ellis, 
Jonathan Borges, Norm L, Magic Player History, Julio, Bailey, Matt Lyman, Eric Segovia, Gabe Gaines, Wiffle, Michael Martin, Jamel Miller, Franz Goated Fischow, Ryan Singh, Blake Bickerstaff, The Distract, your boy Dave J, Eric Randall, Pierre A, Wally Akbar, Eli, Migzors, Nostalgia, and M&Ms, Dylan Holden, Mr. Mikey, Joe Thomas, Stephen Walker, Lil Penny, Jonathan Parent, Eduardo Sanchez, BRBS Creative, and Dan the Man. 39 patrons, thank you all so much for your support. We love you guys. Without further delay, we are going to get into our chat with Josh Cohen. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we are now joined by digital content manager for the Orlando Magic, Josh Cohen. He's been with the Orlando Magic since 2009. He was there for the finals run with Dwight Howard and has been rocking with the Magic ever since. Uh, Josh's first time on the Six Man Show. Josh, thank you for joining us. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, thanks so much, guys, for having me aboard. Really appreciate it. Certainly a very exciting time, just a couple of weeks away from the draft. What what does like your day to day look like right now as we get closer to the draft? Yeah, it's a lot of studying up on all the prospects, not just the big three, as we're all familiar with, but really everyone from one through it could be like 80, 90, to be completely honest. I mean, the Magic, of course, are going to be bringing a lot of guys in for workouts. So I like to have as much familiarity as possible with each of them just to get a little bit of a taste, some flavor as to what they bring to the table. And even watching some of the film from college, if they played overseas, just whatever I can get my eyes on. I mean, you can only accumulate so much. I mean, there's just too many guys to get the full dose. But I like to have at least a little bit of insight of each player going into the draft. And then we'll see who ends up where. And it's always fun to look back a few years from now and see, you know, if your thoughts matched the way things actually turned out. So... Yeah, it's just a lot of reviewing and recapping and just trying to gain as much intel as possible as we get closer to the draft. But uh, certainly, you know, once more guys start coming in for workouts, that'll become a primary focus as well. Yeah, Josh, that was one of my questions was going to be, especially about this year, and we'll talk about the lottery in a second, but this year, uh, given the fact that we have the first overall pick as opposed to years in, in past where it's been five, six, whatever um, how, how has that kind of changed how you go about, you know, this draft process, this approach? In some ways, I imagine it's like the world is our oyster. We can pick anybody. But also, I know uh, our pick may be a little bit more narrow this year uh, than maybe past years. Yeah, it's funny because obviously some years when you get the number one pick, you know weeks in advance who that guy is going to be. As we all know, we don't really know yeah. who it's going to be even just two weeks away from the draft. 
So you're right, though, the field does narrow a little bit. Like last year, for instance, at number five and number eight, I mean, there was just literally 15 to 20 guys you're looking at saying there's a possibility we could end up with one or two of those guys because of those slots that we possessed. So, yeah, it's a very interesting point. And it does change it a little bit. But again, I think because we don't have a certain guy in place for that number one spot, it still feels like the field is enough, is wide enough where like my eyes are still in different places. I mean, of course, the big three is what we're mainly focused on, but you never know. You just never know. Like there could be trades. There could be other scenarios that come into play that all of a sudden a guy that you projected to be the ninth or 10th pick becomes something elevated. And before you know it, he's getting picked in the top five. So anything's possible. And uh, I like to just make sure I'm as familiar as possible, like I mentioned earlier, with enough guys so that I'm not completely caught off guard on draft night. Josh, we've had your good friend Dan Savage on the show a couple of times. And uh, whenever uh, your name gets brought up, he always mentions that no one watches more basketball than Josh Cohen. And that's especially true right now. I've always been curious, you know, when you talk about some of these, you know, prospects that perhaps might be overseas that the Magic, you know, might bring in for workouts and, and, and other things like that. How is there some kind of database that you all have access to where you can just pull anyone's film from these different schools and different leagues? Or how, how does that work? Well, first off, very kind of Dan to say that. I uh, greatly appreciate it. Um, not really. I mean, we have access to all NBA stuff. You know, I can get access to our second spectrum database for various stat information and catch clips of guys doing whatever, whether it's something on the offensive end or defensive end that in particular that I want to focus on. But as far as college international, uh, even G League to some extent, although we have a little bit more we can gather from that, uh, a lot of it is just going on the internet and typing random things in and seeing what you can get. I mean, we really don't have anything specific on our end that we can just dig up within a, you know, you know, in a flash to be able to accumulate that data or that material. But uh, obviously with YouTube, the way it has exploded, there's material everywhere, at least on that platform. And even with like TikTok now, you'll see various clips of guys on there. Uh, so there's a way, I mean, there's always a way to at least get something of each guy, even if it's just two or three minutes of footage. So again, whatever might be available to me, I try to put my eyes on it and study it and just say, okay, this is what I gather from it. Even if it's very little, even if it's very minuscule and maybe in the end means nothing, <laughs> which in most cases it probably doesn't mean that much, but, uh, it's nice to at least have at least a little bit of information that gives me some kind of knowledge uh the best of my ability kevin it sounds yeah. like they do what we do which is the i was about to say YouTube. it makes me feel yeah. better about myself because that's <laughs> yeah. that's how i spend my time too you know sure, searching sure. YouTube. uh yeah. i was gonna say josh you know we'll, we'll talk obviously about prospects and stuff here in a second but i want i want us to go back to last month what was it may 17th i guess it was that tuesday night that beautiful tuesday night uh the night of the the draft lottery you know uh jonathan and i and, and a lot of other people were at harry buffalo you know celebrating this big watch party take us through that experience for you kind of where were you how'd you watch did you watch did you just go to bed early that night and just hope for the best no just kidding but yeah. uh kind of what was that what was that tuesday night like for you 
Well, Dan was at the draft lottery in Chicago. I was covering it from home. I did go to the draft combine, which started essentially the next day, but I went there uh, for the following couple days for Thursday, Friday, when they had the actual uh, draft scrimmages, draft combine scrimmages, and also the media availability for the prospects that were available to talk. Uh, So I did cover the draft lottery from home, just watching it like everybody else and, uh, you know, took in it that way. I mean, just the excitement, obviously, in my own bedroom, which is where I watched it. uh, You know, I was pretty euphoric, pretty elated about the outcome, as we all were. So that's pretty much the extent of it for me. Uh, You know, nothing elaborate, nothing over the top. Um, Dan will probably give you a much better story as far as what it was like to be at the draft lottery in Chicago. But for me, yeah, I, I just watched it right on home. <laughs> and I'm, I'm also curious, are you guys like on a, on a text thread together? Are you guys like freaking out, you know, about it? We you are. Know, yeah, we, we have yeah. a group chat, uh, most of us working with the magic uh, that are in this particular thread. And so, yeah, we were we were really pumped. I mean, for weeks, just like you guys, I'm sure, like we went to the tankathon.com and did the simulations, you know, for, uh, you know, countless times just to see what it would turn out to be on that particular instance. And uh, it was super, you know, elating just to see it play out the way that it did. Finally, getting back to that number one slot. How discouraging can that tankathon be? I think I must have done twenty to thirty yeah. tankathons leading up to the lottery, and I think two or three times we came up first. Like I think every other time yeah. it was five or six or four. Well, the percentages don't lie. I mean, the bottom line is we had a 14% chance of getting the number one pick. You, it, no matter how it ends up, the percentages don't change. If from year, Like Detroit won the lottery last year, and this year they're fifth. So it, it's not a matter of who, which teams are in what position. The bottom line is is this they're going to you know, pull up those ping pong balls, and however the numbers shake out, that's just what it's going to be. And we were on the lucky end of it this year. That we were. It's good to be on this side of luck, Josh. We want to now get into some of the prospects. Um, you know, there's nothing really else to talk about in terms of like Orlando Magic content right now. It feels like we've talked this like top three, you know, Paolo, Jabari, Chet, in whatever order you want. It feels like we've almost talked that to death. Um, we want to talk about the draft with a, a little bit different of a perspective with you, but. Before we do that, we do want to touch on the top three. If you could just kind of you know, quickly go through the top three and, and just see you know, in your evaluation what they do well and, and perhaps what they might need to improve on once they get to the NBA. Yeah, so as Jake Chapman, uh, Magic Radio producer, always calls me, I'm like the comp guy. So I'm always comparing guys to okay. either current NBA players or former NBA players. I can't help it. And obviously, in most cases, when we compare guys, we're completely off or mildly off because no two guys are exactly alike. So whenever it comes to comps, it's never going to be identical. It's never going to be a direct match. But I do think we can take little pieces of players and sort of just copy them onto prospects and say, here's a little inch. Here's a little dash of what they can ultimately be. So that's one way I like to describe players. So I might do that, you know, from time to time. Uh, Certainly when it comes to Chet Holmgren, I know the body type, the thin frame is a concern for many, but at the end of the day, from an instinct standpoint, from a anticipation standpoint, from a timing standpoint, because this is someone that has better timing than I've seen from a prospect in years. 
Uh, he definitely has a lot of Rudy Gobert in him. I know Gobert is a much more massive individual, you know, through the years of weight training. And obviously you would expect Chet over time to at least build up a little bit, not to the extent that Gobert did. Um, but from a uh, overall defensive standpoint, drop coverage, protecting the basket, uh, I definitely see Chet doing some of those things. Uh, so I definitely think he could be the ultimate defensive anchor, a true defensive ace on the interior. But also, he can switch out enough. I'm not saying he moves his feet quite as well as Bam Adebayo or even Anthony Davis or even Evan Mobley. And I know those comps are out there, and I think they're fair. Uh, but Mobley's uh, lateral quickness on the perimeter is uh, truly elite. I'm not sure if Chet moves his feet as well. But his recovery time might be even better because his strides are longer. He's got a longer wingspan. And like I said earlier, I don't think there's a seven-footer that's had better instincts defensively than him in years. Um, you know, may have to go back to guys like, you know, Akeem Olajuwon. And I know I'm not trying to compare those guys, but I'm just saying from a defensive instinctual standpoint, I think there are some commonalities. So I think defensively, to sum that up, I, I would expect Chet to be a force on that end. Obviously, that's where his bread and butter is. Um, and to me... The reason he's in the top three conversation is because you're presuming ultimately he could be a defensive player of the year caliber guy, and that's why you draft him so high as a starting base. So, yeah, I, I just think all around defensively, switching, pick and roll coverage, drop coverage, protecting the basket, sliding over from the weak side, transition defense, it's all great. I don't, I don't see a real weakness there. Uh, maybe a little slow in terms of some of his movements, but... Uh, always reads the game perfectly well. The, the the obvious unknown is the offense. You know, we just don't know uh, exactly what his ceiling is. I do think at Gonzaga, because they play with the two bigs, they're a little more uh, traditional uh, as far as the college game. I do think, though, from a functionality standpoint, Chet showed enough offensive flashes as far as the fundamentals to potentially be transformative on that end as well in the, in the NBA. I just don't know if he has enough speed, athleticism, explosion, to completely become a shot creator, but just from a floor spacing, uh, you know, he's got great hands, so he finishes everything at the basket, 87% at the rim, uh, his one season at Gonzaga, which is extraordinarily good. He led the nation in like, effective field goal percentage. I think he was second in true field goal percentage. So he has a lot of stuff in his bag, but we just don't know if he has a shot creation. Like, can he put the ball on the deck and either get to the hole or pull back? And he had he had a couple Dirk Nowitzki-esque fadeaways, one-legged shots, which I know get, gets people excited, but we don't know if he could do it consistently. So offense, total unknown, uh, but there's a chance. So that's exciting. Um as far as Paolo Bencaro, you know, I think it's fascinating with him because clearly he's a great scorer and a great playmaker, especially at his size, like 6'10", 250, that's unique. But if, again, the comparison thing, because I love the comparisons, if his, if, if his match, let's just say, is Detroit Pistons' Blake Griffin or Sacramento Kings' Chris Webber or even New York Knicks' Julius Randle, uh, what do you make of that, right? I just question it. I'm not saying that's bad or it's good. I don't know where it is. I mean, if... If in the end, he can have 10 years of being a Pistons version of Blake Griffin, is that good enough to be a top pick? Some people might say yes. I've heard the 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 the, the Carmelo Anthony comps. I mean, Carmanthi Carmelo Anthony was so smooth, so slithery, had an amazing mid-range jumper. Um, from an efficiency standpoint, who knows with Paolo? You know, there's a big difference between guys that can average 25 and up and 20 to 25. 
who knows if Bancaro can average 25 and up? I think he could definitely average between 20 and 25. But if that's where he falls, it's likely because his efficiency is a little too low. 33% from three, a little concerning, although most of those shots that he missed were on pull-ups. He's a very good catch-and-shoot three-point shooter, so that's a from a floor spacing standpoint, he's capable. Um, so that's Paolo to me. And defensively, is he laterally quick enough? I don't know. He didn't really show those kinds of movements in college, but he's so strong, obviously being 6'10 and having the size that he has gives him an advantage in the post as far as resistance. Um, and then Jabari, listen, uh, you know, you hear the 6'10 Ray Allen comp. Um, I think when people say he's 6'10 Ray Allen, that's Boston Celtics Ray Allen. That's not Milwaukee Bucks or Seattle Supersonics Ray Allen. There's a big contrast between those guys because in Milwaukee, he was actually extremely athletic and fly to the rim if he had to. And in Seattle, he had an isolation package. So he could put the ball on the deck, stop and pop. Uh, Boston Celtics Ray Allen was the ultimate catch and shoot threat playing alongside Pierce Rondo and Kevin Garnett. So if he's 6'10 Ray Allen, I think people are thinking of the Boston Celtics Ray Allen, which is still great. Um, the one-two dribble pull-up is great. I feel like there's some Brandon Ingram elements to his game. He moves a little bit like him in the mid-range, but Ingram's finesse is a little bit more crafty than I would say Jabari's is. The concern clearly is only 12% of his shots came at the rim. And when you're six foot ten, you kind of question that. Like, why is he not getting to the basket more? Uh, most of the foul attempts he drew were uh off getting hit off the arm because he's got defenders draped over him all the time and they can't reach his reach the ball because he's so tall so if he shoots efficiently at his size that's a major advantage and he moves uh, on the perimeter defensively extremely well he pokes the ball away from uh, opponents all the time he had a higher steal per game average than a higher than blocks so he's not much i've heard this said he's a great rim protector he only averaged one per game but he averaged over one steal per game. He's much better using his length, his wingspan, and his anticipation on the perimeter to knock balls away and deflect balls away. I think that's really where he has an edge. So I think he's a great switch defender. I just don't know if he's a drop coverage guy because he doesn't seem to want to play near the basket too much on either end, uh, which is interesting. And I don't know how that's going to translate in the pros, but obviously tons of upside. Uh, first off, I'll just say I see what Dan was talking about. Uh, you definitely know your stuff. You definitely watched a lot of uh, a lot of these guys, which is fun. Uh, I always like to get a little bit of perspective, especially from guys like you who have uh, kind of been able to evaluate different draft classes over the years. Um, from kind of a, a larger, higher up view of this draft class, where do you see this draft class ranking as far as um, top to bottom, especially kind of in in the top section where the Magic are redrafting compared to previous years? Because we all know some years, kind of like we talked about earlier, some years you get that number one pick. That's a, that's a draft you really want to get number one because there's a guy. This year, obviously, there's different guys at the top. But where do you feel overall kind of this the top of this draft compares to some some of the drafts in the past, higher, lower? Kind of what's your take on that? I think ultimately, as most drafts are, it's going to be one of those where it's going to be sprinkled around guys that end up making it. And then there's going to be a bunch where you just never really hear anything significant about them again. I mean, that's how most drafts are. And I know people get really pumped about the 2021 draft, for instance, where it looked like every single one of those top 10 guys are going to ultimately be all stars in all likelihood based on historical percentages and outlook. Like some of those guys will probably drop off a little bit and will not actually live up to the hype where they currently are. And some of them will, which is why it's a strong draft. But, you know, just looking at the prospects in this draft, I mean, of course, it's just projections, it's forecasting, it's so hard to really know. But 
in all likelihood, as most drafts are, there's going to be like five guys picked in the first round, probably three of them in the lottery that go on to become, if not great, really good, you know, players down the road. Either a one-time All-Star, perennial All-Stars, maybe a Hall of Famer mixed in there, hopefully. Uh, hopefully it's the number one pick. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I think that's how it usually is. And I just get the vibe with this draft. It's going to be just like that. I expect five guys or six guys in the first round to truly, truly make it. That's not accounting for role players. Like, they all could be good role players. But I'm talking about, like, upper echelon and then, like, one or two guys in the second round. That's how it usually is, and I don't think it would be any different this time around. Josh, I wanted to ask you just really quickly before we start talking about some of these other prospects. What is your personal team building philosophy when it comes to the draft? Are you more of a best player available or would you look more to draft for fit? I think a lot about team philosophy, especially now more than ever. And I think people have been kind of losing sight of this. And I think the playoffs this year should be a great determiner of that mindset because you look at Boston, Miami, even Golden State, although Golden State's flashier and they have a lot of offensive explosion in their personnel. But Phoenix, even even though they lost surprisingly in the second round, Dallas had a, you know, a season similar in the sense that they kind of followed a certain philosophy. Uh, right now, to me, you got to have versatility across your roster. You have to have a defensive mentality. Only, only three times since 1996, which is when they started tracking the defensive rating stat, has a team won the championship not ranking in the top 10 in defense. And guess who the top two teams this past season were on defense? Boston and Golden State. And Miami was fourth. Phoenix was third. I mean, the top teams are elite defensively. And I think we got a little bit too caught up in the three-point shooting game in recent years because of what Golden State did with Curry and Thompson that we just kind of lost sight of the fact that defense is still a major thing. I, this idea that nobody's playing defense is outrageous to me. And I think some of the best defenders of all time are currently playing. You know, you can look at Draymond Green. You can look at Marcus Smart. You can look at Rudy Gobert, Giannis Antetokounmpo. You know, there's a reason why Giannis is in the Defensive Player of the Year conversation every year. And nobody ever really talks about it because he's putting up massive offensive numbers. But his defense is really what in many ways carries the Bucks especially during the playoffs. So I heavily, heavily value more than ever getting a two-way player. I mean, I I don't think it's safe to pick guys that are only one-sided, but especially only offensive-sided. It's very concerning. We see too many players in the NBA right now, and some of them are stars. Like, I love Trey Young, but I get very concerned about him defensively. Like, you got to cover that up a lot. You got to hide him a lot. I love Doncic. He's going to, and Dallas was a really good defensive team. They were seventh in defense this year under Jason Kidd. Uh, credit to him because with Rick Carlisle, they were nowhere near uh, that level defensively. But, you know, you got to hide Doncic sometimes defensively. There's a reason why Jason Tatum has ascended into the potential like top three, top four category in the league because he elevated his defense. You know, when Kevin Durant was on his A game, it was because of his defense. Uh, I understand he's one of the best ISO scorers of all time, but if he's not playing, look at what happened to Brooklyn this year. I mean, as potent as they are with Durant and Kyrie, and I know Boston's defense is really what diminished some of it, but if they're not playing A-level defense, it's not going to matter. It's just not going to matter. And the reason that they were in a championship conversation last year 
was because they started playing better defense toward the end of the season. And if James Harden and Kyrie Irving don't get hurt, I would have expected Brooklyn to make the finals. But that's for another day. But the bottom line is I'm definitely looking at two-way. And, and I don't know if that answers your question completely, but like that's very important to me, um, however you want to slice it. If it's best player available, but to me the best player available is a guy who plays both ends of the floor. That's my I, was, I was just going to say that. I mean, if you're good on both ends, you know that just means you're a better overall player. And to your point, yeah. Josh, I, I just looked it up. Um, I, I had a feeling this was the case, but I just wanted to confirm it. Only one team that finished in the top 10 defensive rating in the league this year did not make the playoffs, and that was the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, and they were in the play-in game. So in a right. sense, everybody in the top 10 uh, made, made the postseason. So your, your point uh, yeah. really r- rings true there. <laughs> I want to shift the conversation just a little bit. You know, again, like I said, everyone's talking about the top three for weeks and weeks and weeks now. We've got just about two weeks until the NBA draft. We wanted to to take a look because you know there is still the potential that the Magic could trade back. You know, from the number one pick if they get a, an offer that they really really like. We wanted to ask you just who are who are some of the prospects that you have you have your eye on outside of the top three. Yeah, the obvious one is Jaden Ivey, just because some people would probably put him in the same conversation as those other three guys. I mean, so explosive, acrobatic, gets downhill in a flash. I think clearly people are concerned that his creation abilities, his playmaking is not elite enough to make him a top pick or even a top three pick. But from a speed and acceleration standpoint, there's not many guys like him. I think what favors him is the template that he plays under has worked in the NBA. You know, whether it's Dwayne Wade, Russell Westbrook, Derrick Rose, now John Morant. These guys have obviously all ascended to extreme heights because of their style of play. I think Jaden Ivey takes pieces of each of them. Maybe not as quite as good as each of them at each at each kind of point, but He does things you can't teach as far as the physical tools and the athleticism and the explosion. So if he can put a full package together, it could resemble what some of those players do. But yeah, I think there's concerns about the playmaking. Like if you're going to make him a point guard, I don't know if teammates are going to want to play with him all the time. I mean, he might be one of those, put your head down, just go to the basket every time, hope to draw fouls, finish at the rim, get N1s, you know, use your acrobatic skills to finish reverses and all that. He didn't shoot well from the mid-range, improved as a three-point shooter, but we don't know if it's going to be sustainable. So that's what you're probably getting from Ivy, but Ivy has superstar potential because his skill set matches what some of the other stars in the league do or have done before injury, which is another factor with him. Like when you're always going to the basket and getting hit, could that, you know, I hate to even bring up injuries, but we've seen it with guys like that. You know, Derrick Rose, even John Morant's been dealing with some stuff. Dwayne Wade's career to me didn't quite last long enough because of uh, knee trouble and other issues with injuries because of the fact that he kept getting hit so many times on his way to the hole. So that's something to keep in mind with him. Um, I love, I see, I love Johnny Davis. And my only concern there with him is, you know, the efficiency wasn't good at Wisconsin, but they didn't have much offensive potency as a whole. So defenders were locked on him every single game. He didn't have much breathing room. And, but if you look at his movements, they look eerily similar to Devin Booker. Uh, you could even say C.J. McCollum a little bit, but he's got Booker movements. like It's almost like a match in the sense of you could tell he watches a lot of Booker because just the way he moves around the court, the way he glides, the way he pulls back for his jumpers, it's 
very similar. The problem there, he didn't shoot efficiently. He only shot 30% from three, uh, low 40s from the field. I mean, that's not going to cut it in the NBA. But what does help him and maybe elevates him is the fact that he's a pit bull on defense. I mean, he he actually defensively reminds me a lot of Jalen Suggs. Uh, I've seen that comp out there as well. I mean, defensively, uh, I think there's definitely some commonality in terms of the way he pests. He's a pest for uh, uh, ball handlers. He gets in your face. He's able to slide his feet. And he's with you from the moment the ball is inbounded all the way to the other side of the court. So he's relentless. He's persistent. He's got good size, about 6'5". He's strong. And when you come from Wisconsin, you have the mentality of defense. I mean, they're historically, perennially a great defensive team, and they were again this past season. And the jump he made, I mean, going from his freshman to sophomore year, was pretty astounding. Not as good as Keegan Murray, who I'll get to him in a second, but... Uh, when you the Big Ten this past year arguably was the best it's ever been. I mean, you look across the conference and every team had a guy. I mean, I went to Rutgers and Ron Harper Jr. may have been arguably their best player of all time. If you, you know, maybe. I mean, I, I'm just, he's maybe a second round pick this year. But, um, you know, McGowan's at N- Nebraska and, you know, clearly the big boys with Ivy and, and Travion Williams at Purdue and, and Edie at Purdue you know, and, and Keegan Murray at Iowa. It just goes across the board. The Michigan State has guys, Gabe Brown. I mean, you could just name a bunch of guys from each school uh, that, uh, you know, helped that conference really reach new heights. And Davis performed admirably against all of them, and I don't think that should be dismissed. I'm guessing he'll be picked between 8 and 13, but uh, he's someone to definitely have on, uh, I think, people's radar. Uh, and then Murray, you know, the jump he made was even more incredible, going from 7 points a game to 23, which is pretty unheard of. I look at Murray as kind of a jack-of-all-trades player, maybe not a master of anything in, in, in particular, but, you know, he plays both sides of the ball. The only concern I have with him, really, is, well, I have two concerns. One is, most of his points in college came in the post, and he's only 6'8", so you kind of have to eliminate a lot of those touches going up against larger competition. I don't know if he'll be able to bully, bully down in the paint like he did in college uh, with his size. But he's got great movement, great footwork, and he was able to find his spots with ease. He improved as a three-point shooter. He moves his feet really well defensively. He's not a bad shot blocker. He averaged just under two a game. Uh, He does it all, but I would not say that he is like an expert in any one thing. Like There isn't one thing you can look at and say that Murray does that exceptionally well. He just does everything good. Uh, So in the end, is that just kind of a pedestrian player I maybe I know I've seen the Tobias Harris comps I think there's a little bit of Pascal Siakam there I think there's a little bit of Kyle Kuzma there and you know he's a great transition player he's a grab and go guy collects the rebound runs up and down uh playmaking is a little off he needs to work on that but you know at his size and his improvement you know and again he's going to be 22 years old in August so some people might look at that and say well he might already reached his ceiling he might be at his cap so if he's at his cap you know, would you take him super high? So that's just more of a question. Um, so those are some guys. Uh, Benedict Matherin, I, 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 he reminds me a little bit of J.R. Smith. Um, he could be, I feel like he's a hit or miss player. I think there's, I heard this from somebody, I think a scout might have brought this up. With the way the league is currently, if he plays in the Western Conference, where did I hear this? I was watching, maybe I was watching someone else's podcast or something. But if he plays in the Western Conference where the game's a little faster, the tempo's a little bit more picked up, 
he'll thrive just because he likes to run and gun. He's really good in transition. He likes to explode up and down the court. But if he's in a more of a, a slow it down, half court pace game, he could struggle a little bit because he has a hard time kind of generating offense for himself. But um, I think it's a fair point. Whoever made the point, I apologize for not knowing uh, at this moment. But um, very good coming off screens. Uh, another guy that made tremendous strides going from his freshman to sophomore year. Uh, he, he's he's unique in the sense that usually when you think of a good three-point shooter, they're not above the rim guys, right? You mostly think of guys who are just hanging around the perimeter. He actually can explode to the basket, but he just not, he doesn't have an in-between game. Like, he's not a stop-and-pop guy. Like, uh, his floater's okay, but it's not special. Uh, good defender would not really describe him as a great defender. And so uh, he's, he's a little more basic to me. Like, he's three-point shooter, or he's getting all the way to the basket. There's really nothing in between there. I don't see him drawing a lot of fouls. Um, I don't really see him creating his own offense or creating for others. So I feel like that's like J.R. Smith to me. Like J.R. Smith did that for his whole career. Um, it varied a bit depending on what team he was with and what his role was, but I feel like that kind of matches the uh, the profile a little bit. Um, but yeah, those are some guys that come out, that pop into my mind. Yeah, no, that's that's more great Josh stuff. Josh watches a lot uh, of basketball. A lot of basketball. No, 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 that's good. I, one thing I was going to mention was um, was Jaden Ivey. Jaden Ivey is the only, really the only guy in this in the top section of this draft class that I've seen with my own eyes. I got to see him play this year, play against Michigan. Uh, first off, that Purdue team, I thought I thought, I thought, they had a chance. Well, they did have a chance. I thought they were going to win it all. That team was stacked, and the regular stacked season team, they were yeah. really good. But, yeah, but Williams, was, the, he is the magician yeah. of passers on the interior. He is a unique player. Yeah. I don't know if he gets drafted, but he's unique. I like him. Um, but, yeah, yeah I, get to I, your point. Purdue he had a great – yeah, he had a great game, the game that I saw, too, Williams. Yeah. He he was awesome, him and Ed and Ivy not. Uh, but Ivy, yeah, he's he's super interesting to me. Um Definitely an athlete. That was that was the biggest takeaway. Actually, the game I saw in person was one of his worst of the season, um, ironically, but um, it was still very impressive um, to watch. But uh, but yeah, it's interesting thing about all these other guys, you know, that we haven't really talked about as much. I think uh, a question that I would have, kind of if uh, kind of like Jonathan's question, if you were the GM of a team, you know, your draft philosophy, but also if you were the GM of the Magic in the current situation. Um, in my mind, it would take a gigantic trade offer to get you to move back from one, you know, in a draft class that we've all said is pretty strong at the top. Um, just in generalities, you know, not necessarily naming specific players or anything, but what would be an offer in general terms for you that would get you interested in moving down? Is it, you know, uh, prospects for the future, or draft picks? Is it a current star, like kind of form, forming a trade around that? But what would it take for you as a GM to consider moving back in the draft for maybe some of the guys we mentioned? Sure. I mean, to me, at the end of the day, like if you're looking at the draft board and saying there isn't much of a gap between one and six, let's say, for instance, then certainly it has to be considered. And I think on top of that, obviously, uh, a team that might be sitting at six, seven, eight, whatever it may be, might just feel like we need to hit a home run and we're going to do whatever it takes to move up. Uh, listen, there's very few teams these days who are willing to give up unprotected picks. It's not like the old days when the Magic traded Chris Webber for Penny Hardaway and three future picks that were all unprotected. It's such a rarity these days. Teams are so scared. I mean, look at what Boston did at Brooklyn. I know Brooklyn was able to bounce back through free agency recently, but like they went through horror for like four years there. And Boston was just scooping up all these guys in the draft, Tatum and Brown particularly, 
where it, it just was so lopsided that it, I think it has scared teams to do what the Nets did at that time, getting an old Kevin Garnett, an old Paul Pierce, an old Jason Terry, and get really show nothing for it. I mean, they made the second round the one year loss to Miami. It just wasn't good enough. And um, I think teams are afraid of it. But I'll just say, to, to answer your question, it would take something like that. Like, I need teams to be like, to get desperate and like, you got to give me some future unprotected picks. And depending on the team too, like if this, if it's a team that historically is bad, like they're always in the lottery anyway, I would be even more intrigued. You know, if you're giving me three unprotected picks, even two these days that are unprotected and coming from a team that traditionally is missing the playoffs, I would definitely look at that. Like without question, like you have to, uh, Think about the future in that way. Like the more picks you have, the more cracks you have at getting a superstar. Because before the draft, we can make all the projections we want. We don't know, and we're all just guessing. It's it's kind of a crapshoot to to be real. And uh, the more picks you have, the more chance you have of getting stars. It's just that simple. No matter where the picks lie. I mean, Giannis, Kawhi were fifteenth picks. I mean, you know, that's just the reality of the situation. Um, you know, like we had Vooch, and Vooch was a sixteenth pick. The pick after Kawhi Leonard just by chance but like you could get great players anywhere i mean the more the higher you are the more likely uh the player will turn out to be really good but we've also seen guys picked later you know draymond green what 35th and you know you just have guys that get picked later that could turn out to be really good too so i i would just sum it up by saying the more picks you have the better so if there was a trade package out there that a team was want to give me their their current pick which is a swap along with you know unprotected picks that's what i would probably be aiming for I just want to point out the Sacramento Kings have missed the playoffs 16 straight years, and they currently own the fourth pick. We're not going into specifics here. I just thought that was an interesting tidbit that I, I wanted to point out. Josh, uh, before we before you let we before we let you go here, the Magic do have two second round picks. Um, is there a prospect or two maybe that are slated to go in the second round that you would really like to take a swing on um, if you were a team drafting in that range? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of guys that intrigue me. I really like uh, Wake Forest Jake LaRavia. Um, he reminds me a lot of like a Gordon Hayward, maybe Bojan Bogdanovich combo. I like his movements. They're really smooth. He's got an inside and outside game. He kind of, he's able to use his size. He's like 6'8", and he can kind of bulldoze his way to the basket, but he also has range from deep. So that intrigues me a lot. I wouldn't call him a, a plus defender, but I think he could hold his own. Uh, a little slower with his feet, but such a he's kind of he's got a big frame, and I think that could help him defensively in the NBA. So he's one guy that pops out. Uh, I really like the Duke guys outside of Bancaro and AJ Griffin, and also Mark Williams, because those guys are going to be picked in the lottery or at least in the mid first round portion of the draft uh, for for Griffin and, and Williams particularly. Uh, I do like the other guys. You know, you got Wendell Moore and you got uh, Trevor Keels. And Keels is very interesting from the standpoint. This is like a Marcus Smart, Lou Dort comp. Like, he's physical. He's tough. Has a similar body type to those guys. I could see him lasting in the league a while because of his physicality, uh, his willingness to guard just about anybody. You know, he's not the longest guy in the world, but he is super tough. And Moore is a tr tremendous passer. I really am impressed with his facilitating, his all-around court vision. I think his anticipation and his instincts offensively are really good. So I would say those two guys really stand out. Uh, I, I like Christian Brown out of Kansas. I mean, of course, helping his team win the national championship does did him favors. Uh, super athletic. I think he came in third at the combine in max vertical. Uh, and he's only, 
I think they list him at 6'5", but he's probably more like 6'2", 6'3". And uh, he could jump really high, surprisingly. I mean, I was pretty taken back by just his elevation. And he has he, he could space the floor. I mean, he's a good outside shooter. He's not a great shooter, but he's good enough to hold his own. He reminds me a little bit of Pat Connaughton. Because, you know, Connaughton was in a dunk contest. So people sometimes people forget that. Think of him just as a range shooter, but he could, he could fly. And I think Brown could follow a similar... Uh, prototype is him as far as being this kind of blend of just being a floor spacer and just kind of spot up shooting but also if he can find a mismatch take his man off the dribble and fly to the rim so I like Brown from that standpoint uh, so those are some some guys that really pop off um, right out of the gate but there, there's so many I, I you know you could pick a little bit of each guy and say oh, I really like that about him but I don't like that about him so uh, you can find that with all these guys, but those are some guys that just kind of stand out to me. I forget um, where I heard this the other day, but uh, the conversation was around how like the the top three guys, you know, it's all about kind of finding what you don't like about them and almost ignoring like the good things that they do. If like we talk about Chet, a lot of people talk about the frame and with second rounders, it's always like, oh, well, I'm going to pick this guy because I like that he does this and they don't focus so much on the negative when it comes to the second round picks. But I found that pretty funny. Josh, we're about two weeks away from draft night now. Actually, when we release this episode uh, tomorrow, it will be two weeks uh, from the draft. What does draft night look for you? Where will you be? What will you be doing draft night? I will actually be at the draft. Uh, this is one that I do oh. attend. And yeah, it's I've actually been to every one except for the one in 2020 for obvious reasons. But I've been to every single one since 2014. I shouldn't have said every single one. Uh, since 2014... <laughs> Uh, that's when I started attending, when it started at the Barclays Center. And um, yeah, it's it's a great experience. I'll cover it from there. Uh, you know, the fact that we have the number one pick this year will be one of the you know quickest to, to get to our guy. You know, in past years, we had to wait a little while before the guy we picked kind of showed up. Although a couple, you know, what's funny is, uh, so in 2015, we took Mario Hazonia and then... 2016, we made the trade, so we picked a bonus but didn't keep him, so he, you know, he didn't go to us. And then 2019, Chumo Okiki, uh, for Hazonia and Okiki, they weren't at the draft, so basically I was there, just being all right. I, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do here, but you know, you just I go into my corner and start writing stuff, but I didn't actually have to, uh, you know, converse with a player because they weren't there. Um, but that's like the main gist of it. It's you know, there's kind of a big time gap between when someone is picked versus when they come to the back room to do all their media interviews. And so a lot of it is just kind of waiting patiently uh, before they make their way to the back because they have so many different obligations from the time they get picked until the time that they reach the media availability portion of the event. And so it could be about an hour after their pick before we actually see them because um, they have to do all the TV interviews, radio interviews, pictures, press conferences um, with general media and then finally they get back to what's the uh, it's actually a practice court at the Barclay Center and uh, they have like stations set up so they'll assign you to a station and once the player reaches your station is when you can have an interview with them so it'll be me and then a, a, someone from our broadcast department also our public relations department and uh, we'll gather some content from that. Yeah, you kind of touched on it there. I was I was kind of about to ask that. How many like Magic employees will will be at the draft? You know that kind of thing. Obviously, you'll have the basketball side of things. You know, uh, but how many like like you said from your team? You mentioned you a, a TV guy, a PR guy. 
uh, or, or gal even, who, who kind of from the, this side of things, social content, all that kind of stuff, how many different people will be there? And will there be more this year because of the number one draft pick? Or is it all kind of the same as, as past years? Well, I haven't gotten the full itinerary, so I don't know exactly who will be there, but I know for certain yeah. it'll be someone from our public relations group. It'll be a, someone from our broadcast team with you know the camera and all the uh, video equipment and me and then i'm going to assume someone from our basketball operations crew will be there so i think it i think probably the four of us i would think maybe okay. five that's how it usually is so i would think it would be the same this year so you're one gotcha. of like the that's first cool. you know team employees like handful of team employees to meet the the draft pick then yes 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 um the our pr rep will meet that player right after they get off the stage when they get introduced to adam silver and put on the hat and take the pictures that's when our that's that'll be the first introduction between the player and our pr rep and then from there the pr rep will chaperone him to all the different stations throughout the building that you know he's kind of obligated to do whether it's pictures press conferences television interviews and then of course the back room where i'll be which is where all the stations are for uh, various media it could be team media it could be uh television media it could be nowadays probably some sort of social media rep like tiktok could be i don't i don't know there'll be all sorts of people there with all different companies and uh, different tasks that they're doing so it's a variety pack awesome josh so we got two weeks to the draft again this is an awesome episode I can tell that your basketball knowledge and you do watch more basketball probably than anyone I know. I do think Dan is right about that. So, but appreciate you joining the show. <laughs> uh, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you on social media, where they can find your work? Yeah. So, uh, well, my Twitter is Josh underscore Cohen underscore NBA. So you can find me there. I, I generally just post like articles on there. I'm not, I'm not too vocal on there to be honest, but, uh, if you're looking for some extra written content, I'll post my stuff on there. Uh, that's the only social media I actually have. I mean, I guess I have, I have an Instagram, but I don't put put any work stuff, um, on there. Uh, so for now it's just really Twitter. Uh, and then of course, orlandomagic.com is where all the content lives. Awesome. Well, Josh, thanks so much for joining the show. Really appreciate it. This was awesome. Thanks so much, guys. All right, Kevin, that was our conversation with Josh Cohen of OrlandoMagic.com. That dude knows a lot of basketball. Just once again, wanted to say thank you to Josh for joining the show. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Josh just continues the the reputation that we've seen of, of Magic employees just being awesome. Yeah. And we just got a, there's a lot of great people that work for that organization. It makes it a real joy to be around the organization and, and obviously cheer root for the organization. And Josh was no exception. So yeah, definitely. Thanks to, to Josh for joining us. Massive news, Kevin. We forgot to cover this in the intro, but we Ooh, have man. Orlando magic news. That is not draft related. Some would even say we are breaking this news. No, we're re really not. Breaking well, that's, the not news. that's not true. That's yeah. not accurate. No, but you're right. Huge news, non draft news, news for the 22, 23 season. Jonathan, the preseason schedule has been released, which is pretty fun. I It feels like it's like the earliest preseason schedule release ever. Like it came out, you know, what was it? A couple days ago, June 6th, maybe. I don't know. Um, that's that's kind of weird. But either way, you know, you start off with three road games, two home games. So it's at Memphis, at San Antonio, at Dallas. Then Memphis again at home, Cleveland at home. So the first time we'll see this number one overall pick, October 3rd at Memphis, um, a lot of firsts there that we could go through, you know, first time with number overall pick. Hopefully a guy like Jonathan Isaac, we get our first glimpse of him that night. Lots of other things. 
Uh, what was your kind of takeaway from the schedule? Anything really kind of stand out to you? Yeah, it's just a back to back in the preseason. Like, can we get a break? Whack. Like October sixth, October seventh. Luckily, you're in Dallas, so it should be like a really short plane ride for those guys. But you're right. in San Antonio October sixth, and then the next night you're in Dallas October seventh. That was like the the main thing that stuck out to me. And then it's just like eh, I'm I know you know somebody's got to have an imbalanced preseason schedule in terms of like home and away games. But um, yeah, I think uh. I'm trying to decide which preseason game I want to go to. I would guess the last two preseason games are where teams kind of start like their dress rehearsal for the regular season. So you start to see some yeah. of the marquee guys get some more minutes. Uh, it would be cool to see John Morant. I haven't seen him play in person. Um, I mean, Cleveland is a, is a team that the Magic perhaps will be competing with a, a, a play-in spot next season. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I want to... Definitely want to make a trip to one of these preseason games. And then, you know, the season usually starts about a week after preseason ends. So uh, hopefully lots of Amway yeah. trips this season. Yeah, yeah. Now, I just know, I just know the first thing that people thought when they saw this preseason schedule was like, I wonder who the six-man show, like what, what their predictions are. So, John, oh, what's your preseason? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Five and no, bro. Like five, five, <laughs> yeah, five and no, of course. hundred like percent. But for, but for real, it is, it is kind of exciting, even though it's, you know, however many months away, it's kind of weird, but you know, at least it starts to paint the picture of what October is going to look like. Um, you know, getting obviously the, the draft pick in there and, and some of our young guys getting burned and all that kind of stuff. Definitely going to be interesting um, that month of October for sure. Yeah. So again, the last uh, last preseason game is going to be October fourteenth. So looking in October. So first game of the season for the Magic probably going to be somewhere between like the nineteenth and the twenty second of October, if I had mm -hmm. to guess. So really excited yep. for that. I'm also really excited. I know some point early in the season, either like the last couple of weeks or of October or like the beginning of November. Our friends from Orlando Magic UK, I, there's like a mm. huge, like I think a group of like five or seven families from the UK are, are coming over for a few weeks to to watch, you know, quite a few Magic games. So um, I've talked to them. I'm definitely going to make the trip over to hang out with those guys, you know, catch a game with them. So really, really excited for that. Just excited for the season, you know. Like you yeah. said, hopefully Jonathan Isaac is back. We're going to have the number one overall pick. It, it's time for the Magic to take a little bit of a leap this year. Yeah, and it's something you and Luke and myself have talked about. Uh, more than likely, maybe not more than likely, there's a chance that one of those games in the first couple of weeks is also on national television. It's a pretty common trend, ESPN, TNT, to, to show either the debut or home debut or at least an early season game of the number one overall pick. They've done that uh, you know, pretty, pretty regularly. I'm not saying it's a guarantee, um, I think last year, Detroit, they didn't get that treatment. Um, so it might not happen to us. But you never know. If there's some kind of favorable matchup, you know, with a, another, with a, with a big team, you know, a, a, you know, Brooklyn or Boston or whoever in those first couple weeks, ESPN Sworn enemies to the South. And so absolutely them too. Um, but yeah, so that, that could be another fun twist, you know, get back in the national spotlight. But yeah, either way, I'm excited for it. Uh, unfortunately, that we have to wait that long. But either way, we got we got the draft in a couple weeks. Looking forward to that. But that is going to do it for us this week. Again, big thank you to Josh Cohen. Thank you to producer Kevin uh, for standing in. Uh, Luke again is driving across the country. Godspeed. Be safe. Um, but yeah, for Kevin Tucker, this has been Jonathan Osborne. You guys are listening to the Six Man Show. We will catch you guys next time. See ya.
Thanks for listening to The Six Man Show. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher to get new episodes downloaded directly to your phone. Please take a minute to give us a five-star rating and a review. It would really help us out a lot. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Six Man Show and like us on Facebook. We'll catch you guys next time. Go Magic! Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.